Yes, folks, it's Thursday, 2 p.m. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this has to be... Hello, ma'am. How are we doing today? Happy Friday Eve. You gotta love Friday Eve, don't you? I do, because it includes the word Friday. And Eve means the workday is primarily finished for most people, if not at least halfway over. So I think that's a good thing. Time to unwind, relax, learn a little. What was that thing you said about work week being done? Well, it's close. It's Friday Eve. So for most people, look at my head's not in the screen. For most people, that means that tomorrow's the end of the week. For most of the country, we are winding down in the work day now. We're on the final stretch. Those on the East Coast are lucky enough to be checking out and heading to happy hour. So nothing like this time of the day to bring on our favorite Blues franchising show where we talk about all things franchising, everything from franchisees, franchisors, uh, people who support franchises, anything from banking, and so forth. And Today, we have a continuation of our month, which October is fund, uh, franchising for a cause or with a cause, um, which is one of our pillars, as most people know. And we do have five pillars for those who don't understand what it is that Pillars is all about. Um, this particular pillar is about working to build community. And so you may be listening going, what is all this stuff about Ronald McDonald's house and this Molly Foundation? Why in the world are they talking about it? And really it's all about being a franchise owner and helping a cause which embeds you into the community and also gives you a great platform for marketing. So it kind of goes hand in hand. And I'll tell you, we're going to talk a little bit more about this with um, Jerry Akers and with Sam Regis today along with Emily from the ALS Foundation, and I'm really excited to uh, bring them on in just a bit. But first, I think Elizabeth is there. I see her face. I am here. And yeah, neither of you to... muted today. For once. I was going to ask. I was gonna ask... <laughs> so first, we have some word on the street. Guess and I'm what excited I heard. about this word on the street. This is right in my little wheelhouse. Well, I have to tell you, when I ran across this, I changed my whole thought process on what we were going to talk about today. And we often talk about women getting into the workplace, you know, getting into business ownership and things. And I always feel like we've been talking a lot about kind of the great catch-up and how COVID really set women back in terms of leadership positions, pay grades, and so on and so forth. 
And so um, Tuesday, this article came out. Obviously, this is the first chance we had to talk about it. But the McDonald's Corporation, another huge favorite of mine. I can't afford their brand, but I do love them. I frequent them every day for my large dollar iced tea, right? Um, made it their objective and have done a great job, actually, of, let me get the numbers straight. Well, let me first say that they're at 99.16% of their women are paid comparable to the men who work among the corporate staff in the United States. Yes, and in that article says, I think by next year when they make adjustments, um, it'll be 100%. Yeah, and 2022 will result in comparable pay among all company employees. What I didn't realize is that not only does this affect women, but also on other underrepresented groups. And so they have these, they're starting with their company-owned restaurants and corporate employees here in the United States. And I think the number is some outrageous tens of thousands, but I can't find it now, restaurants that are actually company owned. I'm going to go 39,000, I think it said. Yes, here it is. Around 7% of McDonald's, approximately 39,000 locations worldwide are company owned. So that means 39,000 locations are going to be moving to this initiative to make sure that women are paid just as equally as men, at least comparable. And 99% is pretty darn good on the grand scheme of things. So I think that's probably, I would venture to guess, better than anybody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think it's, um, you know, McDonald's, these big brands tend to lead the way. Mm-hmm. And I think um, having someone like McDonald's do this certainly sends a, a good signal, not only to the franchising world, but to corporate America in general. So, well, and again, and, and Kristen, too, the, the, the benefit of this is not just for women, um, because right? there are studies that show Forbes has talked about it a few times in several different articles that diversity in general, but even, but even if you're just talking about gender diversity, companies that are in the top 25% for gender diversity are 15 times more likely to have higher than average profits. So it, it impacts the bottom line to have representation across the board in gender and every other group um, in your corporate leadership, on your team, you know, at any position. So it, it, it is more than just getting women where they need to be. It is getting companies where they need to be. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think it's important in underrepresented groups. And I think about, like, um, it, it sounds silly, but back when I was on the PTA, you know, I looked and it was all white Caucasian moms. Well, mm-hmm. we did not mirror the diverse community of families that we were representing and so one of the first goals I had was to make that group more diverse because how can I or us as a white population make decisions on great example, which got a lot of feedback, was our food choices on a hot lunch menu. Now, most people think, well, what? who cares, right? Well, let me tell you, there was a huge Indian population whose children are vegan. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that. We, that was the furthest thing from our mind. So take McDonald's, put in a diverse group of people to lead it, who hopefully reflect not only their workers, but the communities in which they serve. And it'll be very interesting to see the kind of things that come about, whether it's the way they lead their people, whether it's maybe some of the schedules or holidays they observe, if there's such a thing, and maybe they come up with different menu items. Who's to say? I don't know. Who who knows where this will go? But I think it's a great example of companies saying, okay, we recognize there's a problem. We're going to be the first to the market to make some big changes, and hopefully we'll see further 
uh, down the road that they continue this and as they, you know, continue on into the global markets as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you say is so true. You don't recognize what you don't know when you're in a position of power or privilege. And until the people in power and privilege get on board, it's hard to lift others up and provide things that are going to be accommodating to all of those groups, including people with disabilities or, or whatever. I mean, yeah. I, there's so many things we can't relate to if we haven't experienced them, no matter how empathetic you think you are. So I, I think, you know, diversity is always good. Diversity is thought. Um, yes. You know, and most of the businesses I've been a part of, we try to be diverse in terms of not just these social concepts, but business size, mm-hmm. uh, business industry, uh, age of leaders. Um, those things all play into impacting and providing a well-rounded perspective for business owners. So. Absolutely. And, so, and with wait. age now comes, comes Come what up. drives how people learn. It drives what their work ethic is, right? The way you and I work is probably very different than Generation Z right now, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Are all my children are that, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Awesome. I hear um, Evil Skippy speaking to us now. I was going to say, uh-huh. I, I'm all for diversity. I like ones, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds. <laughs> now that I know Jerry, I like five hundreds and thousand dollar bills, but you know, it's, to me, that's great diversity. Jerry, do you have his mute button activated yet? All right, moving right along. We have a great show for you today. Um, Ray is going to join me here in a second. We're going to introduce our lovely Emily from ALS. One of my, um, has been my favorite um, things to talk about when I was a young girl. I actually wrote a article, an article, got to get the English um, in order there, because that's what the article was for. On Lou Gehrig's disease. And now they don't really, I don't hear much of it called Lou Gehrig's, right? They all call ALS. It's a much smaller mouthful to say, so to speak, but I still know it as Lou Gehrig. So hopefully we'll have Ray come in soon. And Elizabeth, what else do you got for us today? Well, this is a, this is a topic that's close to my heart. My, my dad's father died of ALS when my father was five. So it's always been something that we have been aware of as a family and the impact that that had on him as a young child. And we did an article with Emily in the Pillars of Franchising magazine that gives some of the details um, of those things. But it, it impacts generations. Like we are all very aware of what that. My my dad was struggled with it as a young kid because he wasn't getting attention, and he felt relieved when it was over. And then he felt so guilty for feeling that that he acted out in school. So it, oh. it has these winding threads throughout your life and that's a story that I know and you know he's 78 now so it's something that impacts everyone around the the loved person so I think it's a great topic for today's show awesome very good well let's get on to it all right before before we do there just a a slight different uh, piece we've done ALS before although back in the the audio time and and that was actually Jerry's first appearance so you can't do ALS without Jerry so we're going to have Ray and we're going to have our guest Emily and we're going to have Jerry on screen and a special guest along with Jerry so you got a four pack coming so let's go do this ah I see what you did there the magic behind the green screen. Thank you. 
Ray, would you like to do some introductions for us today? I sure would. And uh, our guest today is, is Emily. I'm gonna hopefully I'll pronounce it correctly. Vanny. Yeah. So mm-hmm. welcome to Pillars. And uh, Emily is the development director of the ALS Association in Iowa. Is that correct? Yes. So welcome to the show. Thank uh, you. I, I think ALS is, is it would be the alternate uh, thing I would do if, if it wasn't for domestic violence awareness. If that wasn't available in my area, I think I would definitely be heavily involved in that because a very good friend of mine uh, contracted that, and it was it, it was very sad to see because she was very much involved in our church and and then to see her being wheeled in before she passed away so i i think probably for our audience if you don't mind emily can you explain what als is and some people know it as lou gehrig's disease and take it from there absolutely thank you ray um as Kristen mentioned earlier, a lot of people know ALS as Lou Gehrig's disease, but um, it kind of depends upon which generation of people that you talk to because um, a lot of people recognize it now with the um, ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, which was in 2014. Um, the social media phenomenon of everyone jumping ice water on their, their head to raise awareness for the ALS Association, um, which really puts um, our association um, as a whole on the map. Um, it was a not really very well-known disease and it still isn't amongst a lot of people. Um, but really before that happened, it really was not very well-known as to what ALS is. Um, and the easiest way to explain to someone about ALS is your brain physically quits talking to your muscles um, and you eventually lose um, that that muscle function, whether it starts in your hands or whether it starts in your legs. It just it just depends. And you know, when you talk to our care services staff, they they talk a lot about when you see a case of ALS, you see one case of ALS because every single one of them is different. It just depends upon where, you know, where that disease um, where it starts. And you know, eventually people lose the ability to breathe. Um, it is 100% fatal. Um, there is no uh, cure for ALS. Uh, we do have a few treatments, um, but it's a three to five year life expectancy. Um, so I guess not to be not to be blunt, but to be blunt, um, it, it's a death sentence. Yeah. And, you know, Elizabeth touched a little bit on, um, you know, watching, you know, someone living with ALS is very, very difficult um, to do. And the effects that it has on not only, you know, we always talk about the person that has ALS, but it's the whole family that is affected by this disease and the way, um, you know, a lot of times spouses become caregivers and children become caregivers. And that really puts a strain on a family um, to be able to care for that person um, because, you know, it's, ages anywhere from, you know, 30 to 65. So a lot of times it's that demographic of people that are still in our workforce. And, you know, that's really hard to, to be able to, 
to make those adaptions, I guess you could say. Yeah. No, 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 it's totally fine. I was reading up on this last night because, as I said, I think I was in third or fourth grade when I, or maybe fifth, when I wrote this paper. And in back then, it was, you know, you go into an Encyclopedia Britannica and you, you know, write down as much as you can possibly find. And last night, of course, going on the internet, um, I was really surprised to find some of the, I don't want to call them so much cycles, but kind of a bump in the road, so to speak, in some of the cases. They talked about how some of our soldiers, some of our military coming back recently from Afghanistan and such, are contracting it. They think it's tied to post-traumatic brain injury. And some that were in the Gulf War, for some reason, didn't necessarily come back in a group that had it. And so what I was reading anyway is that some could be chemical, some could have to do with post-traumatic traumatic brain injury. And so there were a lot of different, I guess, ideas around what might be causing it, but it was interesting to see. And and men get it predominantly more than women, which was another interesting case. So actually, um, veterans are two times as likely to develop ALS, and that's wartime, peacetime. Um, and we don't actually know the reasoning behind that. Um, we just know that uh, we work with um, the department or uh, our advocacy efforts um, on Capitol Hill. We have an actual ALS registry where people get on and they can, you know, sign up and it asks tons and tons of questions. And what we're doing with that registry is we're trying to connect those dots. Um, for example, we know that veterans are two times as likely to develop ALS and that came from that registry. So, we really encourage people when they are diagnosed to get on there so that we can start connecting some dots as to why veterans are two times as likely to develop ALS. Um, so yes, there there are, and I mean, you know, recently in the last, I would say probably five to 10 years, you have heard a lot of athletes that have contracted ALS. Um, now this is not, this is just me, <laughs> this is just me saying this, but, you know, I think you, you start to connect those dots too. And, you know, you think about, you know, before there was any type of, um, you know, regulation against helmet to helmet contact. And, you know, now we're looking at, you know, some of these people that they didn't have that and, and some of the brain injuries that, that were caused from that helmet to helmet interaction, you know, totally. what, what is the connection to that? We don't know, but I mean, you know, there's, there's a few athletes that, you know, have, have contracted, especially in the football arena in the yeah. last few years. So. Yeah, and I think you see it in boxing as well. And, you know, certainly Lou Gehrig was, a, was someone that really brought this to light because back then, right, he was um, one of the best athletes around and he was just all around one of those good people, right? People loved to watch him and he continued to play up until he just physically couldn't do it anymore. And so it was kind of like the nation got to watch him go through all these stages and, and then it kind of died off. You didn't hear too much about it. And then now, like you said, 2014 the ice bucket challenge has really brought the issue to light again. And so whoever came up with that idea was brilliant because uh, now we're back, back on it again. So, um, Jerry, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I, did you did you choose ALS as part of like after you already had great clips, or did you find ALS first? Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> yeah, I spent 21 years being on uh, the the on air um, 
supervisor for the Muscular Dystrophy Association Labor Day Telethon, the Jerry Lewis Labor Day Telethon. That's where I met Josh originally. Uh, he was working for MDA at the time. Uh, Sam and her sister Shelly grew up on stage there and uh, got to know a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, not just older people but young people who came down with one of the uh, one of the diseases. And then uh, ALS was one that touched our hearts. You know, I was in that age group and we saw some people who had been vibrant in their life come through. And then, uh, to be honest, uh, when Josh uh, was named head of the ALS Association, uh, we just expanded on our efforts uh, to take that organization under our wing too. And uh, as Sam came into our organization to run the operations side of it, that became part of her job to continue to expand on that. She and Emily met was like they were sisters or something like that. So <laughs> that that uh, relationship has just continued to deepen, you know, and they talked about the ice bucket challenge. I remember uh, the first year that came out, I was on a Canadian fishing trip and got an, an ice bucket on me standing on the edge of the lake <laughs> and uh, on the dock. And uh, our organization over the years has tried to one-up ourselves every year if our staff meets certain goals about you know, how many donations they get and those kinds of things. They can ice bucket several of our uh, management staff. And in order to get to me, they've got to, you know, get a lot of donations. And uh, we've, we've done those dumpings out of uh, the top of trucks and off of, uh, you know, uh, landing areas and all kinds of things. So we've really built a big thing out of it. That's awesome. Do you feel that um, supporting ALS has helped drive your business and in what way would you say if it has? Well, you know, we've discovered a long time ago, um, Kristen, that when you support a nonprofit, especially one that deals with health, mm -hmm. the people that are impacted by that recognize your efforts. And so uh, we have gotten a lot of positive publicity and I'll guarantee you we've got a lot of customers because um, but, you know, in our case, they've got to get their haircut somewhere. Why wouldn't they get a haircut from somebody that is, you know, supporting their group? And that is, you know, marketing is great through that. We're, we're using that as an ancillary part of what we do because the reason is just to support ALS and, and their goals and the things that they stand for. Excellent. Yeah, I think, I think it really um, it sends a message to folks when they walk in and they see whether it's a coin jar there saying support ALS or your people are talking about it when they're getting a haircut. There's one thing I've noticed that no matter where I go to get my haircut, um, the hairdressers love to talk. So whether I'm learning about the person and the drama before me or something going on in the community or something like ALS, I'm always learning a little something through conversation there. So <laughs> Sam, I, because you are so involved in this, I'm so excited that you're able to join us today too. We weren't sure if you'd be able to make it. Um, and you're so involved in it. Can you tell me um, how you see having a charity available to your employees impacting them and their loyalty to your company, to your brand? Yeah, so I love the way that you put that because I think it's so important. You know, Dad mentioned the idea of connecting with our customers through being involved with things like this, but I think it's so important to identify how some involvement like this connects to our staff. And so one thing that I have learned is that especially these days when we talk about millennials, 
I am. I am indeed one. Uh, when we talk about millennials and such, we know that we are employing people who want to be a part of something. We're employing people who want to be a part of something bigger than the job that they do every day, bigger than um, maybe what they went to school for or are licensed for and so on. And so our staff, I think, have really appreciated knowing that there's some sort of cause they can get behind. Um, they, they learn through the process. I mean, I remember times where Emily and I would be presenting in meetings and our people would start asking questions about the disease itself and asking questions about, you know, what, so if we raise $30, what does $30 do for, you know, for the people that are suffering? And I think it's really important just to help people understand that even in your day-to-day -day life, you can find a way to touch other people. And yeah. so for us, Yes, it's about raising funds and those kinds of things, but it's also about helping our people have an opportunity to be a part of something or helping some of our staff have an opportunity to realize what it's like to have a cause, like to, to, to find something like that important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's been really nice. And we've done so many different things with ALS over the years. And, you know, on this show, we talk frequently about how COVID is screwing everything up, but we um we definitely ran into a bit of a, a struggle with COVID and, and that sort of holding us back. And I know we we've tried even this year um to get back into the swing of things, but you know, we've gone from the one to one um fundraising with our customers in our in our salons and we've done things like our day of caring where our people have been able to go and help families um with you know, getting ready for the fall in their yards. And I think we had somebody mowing lawn one year and we had somebody picking up leaves. And awesome. it's about giving them an opportunity that they might not be able to have themselves or they might not be able to um, seek out themselves. And Emily, I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, we had a few of our staff that through this were talking with their family or their friends and started identifying that they actually have known people that wow. have suffered from ALS. And so it's, it really comes full circle to help people understand that everyone at some point is being touched by this, I think. Right. What I like about it is it's engagement, right? So you're engaging your employees, you're engaging the community. And that's what I always say the important thing for me buying a business was to be part, become part of the fabric of the community that you're serving. And, you know, I'll tell you, I learned about giving back very early on when I worked for my big box store. We participated in Habitat for Humanity. And I'm probably the only girl on this call who actually knows how to shingle a roof <laughs> in the hot Texas sun. No, Jerry's shaking his head. Sam, do you know how to do that too? <laughs> we did. We did renovate houses when I was growing up. And actually, it's funny. I was the president of our Habitat for Humanity chapter at St. Ambrose University when I was in See, school. So I'm telling you, good people attract good people. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, but I just want to say, I really think that, you know, people, it, you're really missing the boat if you're looking to buy a business or a franchise and you don't put weight in the fact that the franchise or the business has cost-based marketing and or if you don't go out and find a cost to support so that you can give back to the community which you serve. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break so we can pay our bills and when we come back, Emily, we're going to talk to you about what having what having businesses in the area um, mean to you as a member of ALS and someone who really needs to raise money to help your clients. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? 
Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westbine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westbine.com. And welcome back to Flores of Franchising. Today we are with um, Jerry Akers and Sam Regis with Great Clips. And we're with Emily with ALS. Um, Sam, we had kind of cut you short for just a second for a commercial. Please, can you continue with what you had to say? Sure, Kristen, thank you. I wanted to just mention something really quick because a second ago I referenced that COVID seems to be putting a damper on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, talk for a second about the conversation we had in our organization this year because for a lot of us that have frontline employees right out there dealing with the public and all of that, we worry about overwhelming them in their day-to-day -day and, and knowing that wait times are longer and customers are frustrated and those kinds of things. And, you know, last year, we really kind of made the decision to hang tight on some of the extra stuff. But this year, I had a conversation with our management, and I asked them, would your people be overwhelmed if we started reintroducing some of these things that we used to do, right? Some of these fundraising type things. And overwhelmingly, the managers told us that their people want to be a part of something. So I think as you were talking about franchisees or people getting into franchising when it comes to being a part of something and understanding the impact that that has, I would never have imagined that my people would have been like, yeah, I wanna to talk to people about donating money right now. But our people want, they want that. They want yeah. to be a part of something and they understand that they have some sort of responsibility to their community. And so I just, I really think that's so important with that piece that you were adding on how important it is for business owners to understand that concept. Yeah. And I think some of that drives to our core, right? And I do believe, and some would call me a fool, but I do believe for the most part, most people are really good right? They start out good. They may get jaded along the way, right? But we start out good with a pure heart. And so just naturally, when we see someone suffering, when we see something that's wrong, we want to help, we want to fix. And so to give them an outlet, to give them a place to engage, I think is really paramount. So all you franchisors out there, hear the message, listen to what we're saying, find a cause, find an organization that you can attract future employees or future franchisees and their employees um, by giving them something to do to give back to the community. Um, Emily, I have a couple questions for you. Do you find that having national partnerships, such as like Great Clips, um, does that heavily impact your organization? Does that make a big difference to you folks? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's fundraising piece, which obviously we need to provide our programs and services, but there's also the awareness piece. Um, you know, when I talked originally about 
you know, ALIS is still not a very well-known, you know, even though we are striped farther than where we were in 2014 from the Ice Bucket Challenge, there still is that, you know, people still don't know what ALS is. So for us, you know, national partnerships and, and the awareness that it, it throws out that, you know, these corporations such as Great Clips are, are working with the ALS Association. You know, Great Clips is a nationally known name. So for us, that nationally known name of Great Clips and ALS Association, you know, that, that resonates for us to get that awareness, more of that awareness piece. Absolutely,
be on board. I, I agree with you because she is a mover and a shaker, and she, she loves is. doing things that are fun and worthwhile. The, uh, the question you got to ask is, will Jerry let her go? That's the question. But well, um, if Sam and I both talk to Jerry about it, Yes, and for those who can't see Jerry, he's turning a little beet red right now, but that's okay. So, Emily, tell us, um, if other people out there want to get involved and help ALS, how do they go about doing that? Um, you know, it's very, very simple. We have a lot of chapters. Not every state um, has an actual chapter within their state. Sometimes they're sectioned together. Um, just to give you an example, we're the Iowa chapter, but to the it's the Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. They're all one chapter together. Um, you know, reach out to your, you know, your local chapter. Um, we're always sharing as different chapters. So, you know, for example, if there's, you know, great clips, you know, if there's great clips in your area and reach out to Jerry and Sam. I mean, they, they know how to do it. And, um, you know, their employees get behind it and they do because, you know, Jerry and Sam are passionate about it, and um, all of their staff is passionate about it, um, and they they empower them to be involved in the community, and I think that's the biggest thing, um, is that if you can have that type of environment created within um, your organization, it just makes it so much easier for whatever organization that you're wanting to support, whether it be ALS or whether it be, you know, as Ray mentioned, you know, domestic violence or you know, whatever you're, you're passionate about within within your organization, um, you know, any nonprofit's always ready to jump in and, and help and create something. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, Sam is the champion with uh, Great Clips, with so many locations that you have. If you were to send a message to your Great Clips partners out there about getting involved in ALS, what would you tell them today? You know, I would say that the ALS organization, as we've been working with them, has been absolutely incredible as a partner. And, you know, when you're looking for an organization to get involved in, you don't want to be in it alone. Uh, and so that's the experience that we have had is I think there are sometimes people that try and get in connect, you know, contact with organizations because they have somebody that's really touched by them, and then they really struggle. I mean, they, they find a lot of roadblocks where they can't quite get the message through or they can't quite accomplish what they're accomplishing. And Emily and I certainly, and this is a lot to do with Emily too, of course, like as a human, uh, but Emily and I certainly, we work together on this project. I mean, I come up with ideas, she comes up with ideas, we put them together, um, and it's really a partnership. And I can only imagine that that's something that's throughout the organization, right? I mean, Emily is an amazing human, and I know she will help anybody that were to be in touch with someone, maybe with Great Clips or some other organization that's looking to get involved because we kind of created some of this. We kind of originated some of this project with ALS um, with our one-to-one uh, fundraising program. So we'd be happy to share it with anybody that's interested, and um, we'll share those ice buckets whether it's the actual ice in the bucket or the papers for the window, we'll share either way. <laughs> Emily, tell us how somebody would get a hold of you or the, the national office. What's the best way to get a hold of you? I'll obviously have it all posted on our website today, but how would you like to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, email is the best way or 
pick up the phone and call me. I, you know, work from home now, so I love talking to people. Um, I love talking to people before, but now it's a little more um, not so frequently. So I just seen Sam in like four years, but it's really not been that long. Um, but yes, reach out to me. I'm, you know, Emily at ALSAIowa.org. Um, and honestly, too, like I said, you know, we all work so well together as a national organization. We work with other chapters. So, you know, reach out to me and I'm happy to connect you with whoever's in your area if you're interested in partnering um, with ALS. And just real quick to piggyback off what Sam said, you know, you really do need to make it a partnership. And you, when you do make it a partnership, um, it really, it just, it makes everybody feel like they're, they're part of something bigger than what, than what they are. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the environment that's created within an organization. You know, walk into any manager meeting and, you know, I feel like I'm walking into a family meeting because they're just like, Emily, like they've known me for 25 years. So um, it is just becoming a partnership with, with the people and, and really building that relationship. That's awesome. That's awesome. And Sam, thank you again for all the great work you do on behalf of, the, I'll call him Jerry, not dad. Jerry's organization, the family organization, I think it's great. And as a young leader in that group, I can't wait to see the fantastic things that you and your siblings do as Jerry goes off into the sunset and relaxes at the lake. I can't wait to see what you guys do with the place. So not that we're retiring you early, Jerry. We just know we're going to get you really busy doing other stuff, and they're going to be in charge before you know it. <laughs> they will so, do amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, ladies, thank you so much for your philanthropy and sharing your stories. And, uh, Fred, where are you taking me now? Well, I just want to point out something that I think you just referenced a totally different not-for-profit when you said Jerry's kids. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> I did. That was oh, – what do they geez. call that? Not a sniglet. I don't know what that's <laughs> called. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Somebody's got to – Somebody's got to be uh, Homer Simpson here. That's me. So let's take it to Elizabeth for a commercial. All right. We want to say thank you so much to Emily Vanny, Sam Regis, and Jerry Akers for giving us some information about ALS and how we can contribute um, and make a difference in the world, especially if you are in franchising and would like to do something like that. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to call us. This is a call-in show, so we would like to encourage you to do so. The number is 323-580-5755. Up next, um, Dave is off this week. So we are going to go to Jerry and Kristen in just a minute and learn all about uh, franchising questions that are common to people looking to buy. One of them, which is what you can do with a franchise that you can't do on your own. Um, so what would be the benefit of having that system behind you? Um, so stay tuned for Jerry and Kristen. And there we are. And there uh -oh, we Jerry, were. Your head is missing. I'm cut in half. Fred's been no, you're wearing Sam's shirt. I mean, you're wearing Emily's shirt on your head. I know. It's that like they mixed Emily and I. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's get started for the Fred, I'll lean up. There you go. Yeah, there. So, so, Jerry, one of the things we wanted to talk about today, and I'm so sorry that we're missing David, one of the things I could see him saying about um, about getting into a charity, and uh, as Sam said, there's a lot of 
obstacles and things like that that you have to overcome. I could see David saying, you know, the thing about that is that you have to believe in it, you have to want it, you have to be tenacious, and you have to have grit, right? The same types of things, there you are, the same types of things that you need to have if you're going to buy a business. So nothing worth doing is easy, right? And so if you really want to do something for a charity like ALS, like has kept for humanity, it's very likely the first phone call you make, you may not get to the right person. And it may take several phone calls. Well, that's right. And let's back it up a minute. You know, when you're trying to get your business started, you're a franchisee, you're worried about employees and customers and products and all those kinds of things. Many times, nonprofit is way down on the list of things to think about. So, yeah. you know, once you get once you get over that hurdle and you decide that you want to be engaged in something and do something different, then you got to find the right person. And I'll just be upfront with you: when we started getting involved in nonprofit organizations through our business, I literally just walked in the door of the yeah. local office or called the local office and introduced myself and said, you know, I don't know much about your organization. I'd like to learn more. Um, this is my organization. This is what I do. And I think there's a bit where we can, you know, support you in, in many, several different ways. And uh, they're always happy to have those conversations and they make it as easy on you as possible because right. they want you back. Sure. Well, I think the other thing too, is that um, the benefit, and this actually ties into our first question of what, what can a franchise do for me that I can't do for myself, Right. Some of these franchisors, if they have a charity or a cause ready for you, you don't have to think about it. Like with Ms. Molly, I signed up right when I started. It was part of what I did in the initial setting because I knew as a, as a new business owner, I'm worried about break even. I'm not worried about non-for-profits. That's the last thing I'm worried about. But I knew it was the right thing to do. So. You could start with a dime a clean. You could start with a nickel a clean. Just something to get you engaged in the process. And I think that's one thing that a franchise can do, that if you're off on your own, you can't. It's unlikely. Well, yeah, you know, we had, Jim, we had Jim Petrovich on, I think it was last week, to talk about um, his Great Clips organization being involved with Ronald McDonald House, and that's kind of a national thing. Right. Um, so to your point, you know, many franchisors have those relationships with some organization already, and they send you the stuff. You just uh, you just incorporate it into what you're doing. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to do a whole lot. It's just yeah. very easy. And then many franchisors give you the opportunity, even if they've got a national thing that they're working on, to do extra things. And, you know, many people don't think about it, but if you're a retail organization, taking money for something like that is a hurdle. There literally has to be a button on your POS system designated for that. And anytime you're in the IT world, getting all that stuff in place is, is a real thing. Many corporations have to sign off on what, uh, what charities you're you know, putting under your umbrella and using their name to help back up because right. when you buy a franchise, you're buying the name and you're representative of it. So there are some you know, small hurdles, but hurdles nonetheless that you need to work through. But for us, and I think most people that take the time to do it, it is, you know, first off, from a from a heart standpoint, from culture standpoint, from leadership standpoint, as David likes to talk about, these things are the right things to do. Yep. That's, that's absolutely the right things to do. And then if you start thinking about it from a from a community image 
and a PR and a marketing side of it, all of that is just bonus on top of doing the right thing. So it's really easy to convince yourself to do this once you start learning the ins and outs of it. Absolutely. And I think when we get out of the, what we used to call the warm, fuzzy stuff, right, and we get into the brass tacks of what can a franchise do for me that I can't do, do for myself, quite frankly, when you're in a franchise system, what do you think in terms of mistakes being made if you got on your own versus mistakes being made in a franchise system? Well, Kristen, you know, if you're in a franchise system and you're not the first franchisee, which very seldom will you be, they've already made mistakes and they share those with you and you never have to go through those again, unless, of course, you choose to and you go down that path and end up making the same mistake. But the fact is, if you were to open your own business, you're going to make all of those mistakes by yourself. And not only do you make them because you have no history where people can warn you about them, but you have nobody to help you get through the issues that come up from making that mistake. And frankly, some of those mistakes can be death defying for your business. You know, it could be the end of your business. So when you join a franchise system, they've worked many of the bugs out. Mm -hmm. Uh, They share all that with you. Not only does corporate share all that stuff with you, but you have a community of franchisees around you that are always sharing best practices. And frankly, most of them don't have that much ego involved. So they share their mistakes with you. And many times they'll reach out and say, hey, I screwed up. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. And they'll have six or eight or 10 franchisees jump on that thread and share some thoughts. Maybe somebody else has made the mistake and you can learn from it or you brainstorm together. You do not have that when you open your own business as a solo practitioner. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's interesting because we have a chat board like that, too. And I remember we've had a couple of new people, Ray, Ray may even recall as, as we've gone through the years together, a couple of new people come in. And, you know, the first thing is, I'm not, no, I, I already know how to do this. I'm going to do it my way. And I sit there and I laugh to myself thinking, okay, well, I got to tell you, you're going to learn really fast. You know what? Those businesses aren't, they're, they've, they've been sold. Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. Three yeah. of them I bought. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and really because they didn't listen. And, and Look, Kristen, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a long time, many year validator for great clips. And, and for those of our listeners that don't know what that is, that means uh, if you're a potential franchisee, corporate will give you a list of existing franchisees. You can choose two or three or four of them to call and just ask questions of to see if it's a good fit, if we do it over again, if we had the chance, those kinds of things. And I never forget, a few years ago, I had a gentleman call, and as we kind of went through the progression of different questions, you know, he he brought up a marketing question, which is one of my fortes, and Mm -hmm. uh, I started talking about it, and he goes, wait, time out. I don't need to know anything else about marketing, just this one question, because I've got an MBA in marketing from some prestigious university. And, and he asked me what I thought about it. And I said, I, I want to congratulate you. That's a lot of money and a lot of time and effort. You've achieved something. If you decide to become a franchisee, the first action you need to take is to take that degree and put it at the bottom of your desk drawer, cover it up, and forget virtually everything you learned in college. Because yep. out here, most of it won't work. Or you won't have the money to do it or whatever the case might be. And the corporation that you bought a franchise from, as well as the franchisees doing what you are going to be doing, have far more information about things that work and how they work and the easiest way to implement them than you would ever learn in a college class or or four to five, six years of college education. So, um, and I think that's what we're all talking about, right? And this is a good point to interrupt. 
I, I want to just say, you know, to the listeners, we want your involvement. You know, we as people that are trying to help franchisees, potential franchisees are here for you. That's right. um, we all have other things we can be doing, and we're here to try and help you out. And there's a phone number you can call, so I'm going to give it to you. If you've got a way to write it down or something, now's the chance to do it. So if you want to ask a question, if you want to make a comment, if you want to get somebody on this end involved in a conversation with you, call this number. It's 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And you'll have a chance to get into the green room and get on here and ask a question or have a conversation, and we'll help you with whatever your concern is. So don't miss the chance to tap into experienced people who have been involved in the franchise world for a long time, and, and maybe we can help you out. That's right. And so during the show, that, that phone number works. And after the show, if you go to pillarsoffranchising.com, there's a pop-up window in the left bottom or the right bottom corner. They'll say, what's your dream? And that's where you can put in your questions and comments and anything that you'd like to know. Um, we do all kinds of mentoring and consultation and help you buy franchises. So anything you want to know, the great thing about Pillars, if you haven't figured it out yet, is that you have a, a, an array of an array. Did you see how I did that, Ray? An array of different it. backgrounds, different people, different um, channels. <laughs> Um, and it's all free. So what the heck? Um, so here's my next question for you. How about if I were to be directed or suggested or want to buy a franchise, but I don't really have any industry knowledge? What happens if I want a franchise and I just, I don't know a thing about cars, but I hear I can make good money in a car automotive segment? Well, First thing I would do in that case, Kristen, is um, call the franchisor. Have that conversation with somebody in their development department because every franchisor is going to have different expectations. They will have been asked that question a thousand times, so they'll already have a great uh, explanation, maybe even some collateral they can email out. The, the, the real fact of the matter is, and you brought up cars, there may be some car repair franchises where they would prefer you do have auto experience. Others, you know, I won't name any, but there's others you would have to have no experience in automobile repairs or maintenance or any of those kinds of things because you are the business side of the business. You're going to hire experts that That's take right. uh, care of all of that. Um, I share all the time. I'm in hair with great clips. I'm in, uh, you know, uh, back care and health care with the joint chiropractic. I cannot cut hair. People don't let me near sharp instruments. <laughs> I absolutely cannot adjust your back, and you would not want me to. Yeah. However, I run very successful organizations on both sides because I don't try and tell my hairstylists or my chiropractors how to do what they spend a lot of time and money learning to do and getting licensed to do. That's right. And they, my agreement with them is, please don't spend a lot of time trying to tell me how to run the business side because right. – I probably have a little more experience in that than you. So for our listeners, do not even consider the fact that you may need to have experience. First, call the franchisor, share your thoughts, let them walk you through that. Because I will tell you, many franchisors, many franchisees who have experience in the field that they buy a license in, 
forget that they bought it to run it. Yeah. And they want to they want to go out and get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And they want to do things in that franchise which they may they may not be qualified to do or the business yeah. suffers because they're doing that instead of things that they ought to be doing in the office. Instead so of the, the marketing, mo- right? Instead of marketing, marketing and managing the money, they're out building a fence. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and I will share with you in many fields, many franchised fields that I've been involved in over the years, the most successful franchisees have zero knowledge on the technical side of whatever they represent. The yeah. least successful I've run into had tremendous knowledge on the technical side and didn't spend enough time doing what they bought it for, the franchise for. And the other thing I would add is they try and reinvent the franchise. So instead of building their own so they could do it their own way, they pay thousands and thousands of dollars to buy a franchise where you're buying the rights to use their system. And then they try and change the system. Right. And the system is successful and you spend a lot of money for it. Just do it. Yeah. Just do what you bought. And I think if David were here, I, I think it's funny because we're kind of channeling David and I hope he listens to this line. What, do you even need me now? Right. <laughs> the words of David would probably be, I would have to guess, some of the most important things that you bring to the table if you're looking to buy a franchise because the franchisor can provide you with a lot of industry specific things is to bring your leadership, your management skills, and if needed, the, the, the sales or people skills, a little bit of HR because you're going to be hiring people potentially. But you don't, my, okay, so I own a cleaning company and my girls do a great job, but I have a disastrous house because I have three kids and three dogs and I don't clean. I hate cleaning my own house. It's like the shoemaker whose kids have no shoes, right? <laughs> I didn't buy a cleaning company so that I could be professional in cleaning a house. I can tell you how to do it, but if you think I'm going to do it for you, my back's too bad for that, right? And so it's really, it, are you buying yourself a job? Is that what the goal is? Or are you buying yourself, you know, an income without having to break your back, without having to do that type of work, right? We've talked about that. Yeah. And Kristen, one of the beauties of the franchise world is there are franchises out there where you can buy a job. Sure. If you want to be yeah. a sole practitioner, but you want training and you want support, some of those kinds of things, they're out there for you. Absolutely. On the other hand, if you want to know nothing about the specifics of the industry, but you have you know, drive and determination and leadership and some financial wherewithal and those kinds of things, you can buy a business and you can spin that off into multiple locations. You know, we cover two states, possibly three states before long. And uh, again, we don't cut hair. So the fact is you can have either end of that spectrum if you choose, but you'll never get anywhere if you don't make that first phone call to check in franchising or uh, buy an entrepreneur magazine when they rank the top 500 franchises every year and where they break it down into segments and just spend some time reading and, and studying it. And by the way, the simplest way to learn about franchising is A, to listen to the show, and B, yes. reach out to the people on this show to help explain some of it to you and Absolutely. answer your questions. So um, yep. don't miss those opportunities. If you've ever thought about it, now's this, an amazing time to consider it and get into it. Yeah, and you could even fill out the uh, What's Your Dream form, and, uh, David and I, David and I can help you research what particular models need industry expertise versus no industry expertise. So we'd love to help you. Again, that's at pillarsoffranchising.com. 
And uh, it looks like we're going to go to Elizabeth now. Jerry, thank you again so much. I love we got a lot of time together today. This is a bonus day. It was great. Thanks, Kristen. I miss David, but it's good to use some of his stuff. I know. Thank you so much. So I got a comment here. And Jerry made me think of this. Do you know what other industry you can get into and have no knowledge whatsoever and still make tens of millions of dollars? The zombie industry? No. Congress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now moving on. Yes. That's now we'll I'm go to Elizabeth now that we've been able to get a politically incorrect well, comment in there. I'm happy. Oh, Lord. Oh, that's funny. Well, we want to thank all of the guests today. It's been a very uh, enlightening show, I think. It was a great conversation. Next week, tune in for Ron Feldman of Apple Pie Capital. He's going to talk to us about some funding things. Uh, it should be a really another great show to round out October. Um, also, don't forget to log on to pillarsoffranchising.com. Fill out our form that says your dream starts here. You can sign up to be a guest if you're in the franchising world. If you're seeking to be in the franchising world, you can sign up for more information on getting a mentor to help you through that process. Um, and if you are looking to get your name out there as a franchisor or a franchise professional, reach out to I want to be a sponsor on that form, and we can get you hooked up with some publicity and some marketing through the pillars of franchising as we continue to grow. You might have noticed our team has grown, our um, channels are growing, so yeah. stay tuned. This is a great place to help get the word out. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And already we're working on the December digital magazine. I'm super excited about that. So um, before you know it, I'm already thinking we're in November because we've been talking so much about December. <laughs> it's well, and it's going by so darn fast. It is. I can't believe it. But let's just move along to 2022 is what I'm thinking. So again, we yeah. want to thank... <laughs> We want to thank Emily Vani for being on the show as well as Sam Regis with great clips. Um, and as always, we'd like you to share and comment on this episode. And as always, thank you to Ray Pillar, David Kajanik, and Jerry. David, you're always in our thoughts, even if you're not here. And uh, also, a big thank you to Fred for being the evil skippy behind the camera. Uh, I am Kristen Chalmette, your fourth million dollar mentor, along with Jerry. Uh, Ray and David, and we wish you a great week. And just remember that this has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here.